Hey, on the glue guys today, we'll talk about that amazing, fantastic win against the Pacers, and we'll talk about Karis LeVert's renaissance a bit, and then we'll get to some general NBA news, including why having a kid is actually good for your performance in the NBA. Today's episode of The Glue Guys is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, 10, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. Well, welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, hello. Brian. Hello. Flat. Ugh. Ugh. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuys, NetsDaily.com, TheAthletic.com. Go to TheAthletic.com slash Glue Guys to get 40% off an annual subscription, not prescription, but subscription to The Athletic. Brian, the Nets are actually back. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. What do we, we get? Like five of our last, last sevens of, you know, varying convincingness? <laughs> um, we're rolling. We're rolling, buddy. Things are looking up. Last night's game was the Indiana Pacers game, and I don't know if you felt like I felt, but uh, it was heading towards the conclusion that I felt like we've been getting all year, which is that this team was going to blow it at the end. It's not even that they were going to blow it, that they wouldn't even get the lead at the end, and they did, and they were awesome. Joe Harris is awesome. Spencer Dinwiddie finally hit a mid-range shot. There's a there's a graphic that's on GoNet's Reddit, which is from Kirk Goldsberry, which shows... Basically, the zones around the basketball court, the, the worst shooter at each of those spots. And Dinwiddie, where he took his game-winning shot, that was his. That mm. he is the coldest in the NBA from that zone, and yet he still hit it. I spoke about this a little bit um, on the post-game stream last night, where, you know... Oh, yeah, where can at, people go there? Where, where um, you can, can find that on, you can find that on Twitter, you can find that at Sportscast R, that's Sportscast, not E-R, just R.com. Uh, glue guys, search for that. Um but we were, I was talking about how I had been playing a game of a crusty game of 21 at the park um, with, with some crusty people and was just making it rain because somehow it, on even even at a very low stakes game of 21 um, in, in, in bad weather, just a p- poor conditions all the way around. Um, there is an instinct not to guard people who are shooting long twos anymore. Just it's baked into the cake now suddenly. <laughs> and I was just ripping because that's my that's my sweet spot as a long two. Um, you know, everyone everyone zigs I zag. You know that. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> so no, I spent my whole life shooting long two. So like that's the only thing I can you know, I don't play that much basketball. Um and I and I was thinking about this with with regards to the Spencer Dinwiddie thing. Like I think even at the end of game situations when it's really just about you know it's a zero sum game of if you make the shot you win. People don't expect you to take a long two no matter what. So yeah. there's like a weird advantage there. Yeah, and so like Kawhi basically won the championship because he was so dominant from mid range, and and you see it as defenders that they 
They uh, have a lot of energy and activity right at the three-point line defending another team. And then there's obviously usually a pick and roll or something. And then the mid-range, <laughs> all defenders seem to slough off because everyone's been trained not to take that shot. And then once they get back to the rim, right around the rim, everyone gets really intense again. And there's still that just that juicy, soft little, if mm-hmm. the basketball court is a Twinkie, the mid-range is that frosting. That delicious, <laughs> wow. tasty uh, yeah. frosting that still exists, not good for you unhealthy would be bad to and, continue and by to itself near unedible you can't just eat that frosting plain you know but with the moments when you do get to it it is delicious it is uh fantastic wow. can't do wow. it too much though we are we are dating ourselves with this appreciation of, of mid-range jumpers <laughs> of, tw- of twinkies uh, yeah and twinkies too yeah that feels like it like people don't really talk about twinkies anymore they kind of fell out of favor uh, you know what is funny though, like, like if the worst thing in basketball, as you mentioned, used to be the guy, like the guy who would take that seventy foot turnaround jumper, just pound it into the ground, sort of the Carmelo Anthony, what we think classically what Carmelo Anthony was like. But now when I see it, I'm like, that's basketball. That's what mm. I remember growing up. Oh my god! And that's what you got with Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, because we've gone through. I feel like Dinwiddie is the most sort of evolutionary player in his own life that I can even remember. And the guy who at various different times, you could say he's like the most clutch guy for the nets or the guy who kills them at the end. Cause he takes these kind of crazy step back shots. You know, I have a, a the beginning, the, 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 the very just like seeds of an, of a theory here. And I wonder if I can work them out with you a little bit. Yes, please. So in previous eras of basketball, um, like it felt like, or it feels like, like league-wide trends were less league-wide. Like, you know, you'd have a team, like the Utah Jazz would have the same Stockton-Malone combo for 20 years. And that was their identity for a long time. And that had a lot to do with contractual stuff. So like league-wide trends couldn't proliferate in the way that they do now because star even like the highest, most valuable star players are only going to stay on their teams for like five years anymore. This is the new, this is the new NBA, Mike. Um, yes. And so in that sense, people are like chasing the new metagame and it, and it creates this homogenization a little bit of, of what we call like league wide trends of basketball. Um, and I'm wondering if really we can just point to like contract, like the new CBAs and, and collective bargaining has led to like that kind of homogenization. What do you think, Mike? Am I onto something? Is there something there? I, I think that and, and I also think it's the sort of just the technology advancement of the fact that like definitely I mean, we've all we all know the analytics based argument. I'm trying to just add a little bit more texture to it. And, and, and the more person-to-person relation of guys, there's more movement, there's more sort of everyone, hey, I, I was in this system, this is what it's like. Right. And it's, and it's also like, and so obviously the NBA teams are running super advanced stuff sometimes, sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just simply uh, James Harden is isolated and then we're just going to watch that to be played basketball for the next 48 minutes. But other times it's, it is like the classically what we thought of the golden state warriors, which was a lot of cutting and a complex system, but it could only be so complex because of player movement. And if you look at like, look at the Clippers this year and, and the nets this year too, the Clippers have, have yet to really lock in fully because they've had guys in and out of the lineup. The nets have yet to lock in fully because they have guys in and out of the lineup. And because there's so much player movement, as you're saying, no consistency year to year. There's no basis from which then to grow sort of the offense. The teams that seem to have the most complex or the most sort of uh, ingrained offenses are maybe like Utah, because because that team has had has maintained the status quo. Indiana has maintained sort of who they are. I mean, yeah, they added Brogdon. They just got back Oladipo. But those sort of teams were like no one wants to go to. 
<laughs> seem yeah. to often have the the most sort of stable structure San Antonio, obviously, for 20 years. They were able to grow an offense because no one really wanted to go to San Antonio. No one wants to stay in San Antonio. And and so bringing this all the way back full circle, whoa boy, to this Pacers game last night, um, you know, I've seen uh, like some percolating on, on Twitter about like, is this our OKC game in reference to the Oklahoma City game from the 20? 20- 14 season i want to say where that was when we went we were 10 and 21 and then you know had a game winner on the road uh joe johnson did against oklahoma and turned our whole flipping season around um and that seems to be like a kind of reliable meme for the nets do you feel that this is that sort of beginning to be the pivot the big pivot or um are we just like in a sort of return to mean kind of we're going to be expecting similar results going forward what I worry is, so oh uh, we, <laughs> is the are the Nets better without Kyrie conversation continually happening because, okay, so we're recording this on a Tuesday. We don't know if Kyrie is going to be back for the Wednesday night game, the last game uh, before the All-Star break, but, you know, Kyrie could play or he may not. But I would even trace this back to, you know, we talked about the, the blowouts against Golden State and Phoenix, and I would also say that Toronto game, even though it was a loss, it felt more of like the team last year for the Nets, which is competing to the end, actually having a shot to win it, making a comeback, which this team for parts of this season wouldn't even be able to mount a comeback, really a strong comeback to really make it a a tough battle at the end. The Nets, of course, should have won in Toronto, but they didn't, but it still felt more aligned with what they were last year. So if we're talking about, is, is this type team turning around? I don't think we can even say that until Kyrie is back. And then does the team continue to perform like this with Kyrie Irving? I, you know, we are firmly in the Mike. camp that this team is better with Kyrie. If you were to guess on average, how many days people in the U S have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week? Maybe actually on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U S cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you to a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if your doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you for free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or just want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash glue for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash glue for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. You'll recall an interesting parallel here, though. Please. Brooke Lopez was injured during the time of that resurgent Oklahoma City win that served as the pivot point for the rest of that season. Um, interesting parallel in that, you know, that was their... Well, that wasn't their best player. Well, it kind of was. I mean, I don't know. Um among their best players. Anyways, I'm just trying to like, you know, really drag this analogy through through the uh rake it over the coals and we probably don't need to. Um but I guess like I, I'm in like pretty much an agreement because um <clears throat> for me, the things that I'm looking for is the beginnings, the seeds of a offensive identity, and the Nets really have not put that together yet for me. Um 
I'm almost so like when they're at their best, it's when they've just sort of like they're intuiting a drive and kick game and it just sort of naturally comes together. It's not a real set play. It's just a a broken play that's like working out well. That's sort of how like it looks best, which is weird because like Kenny Atkinson seems like the kind of guy that would be able to like devise a like, you know, reliable set play that that would look good. But they oftentimes don't for me. Um, And then on the other side, even worse than that is letting Karras or Spencer like pound the ball a little bit too long and get into a, I, I don't even, I mean like the dry, uh, the, the pick and roll stuff that they do with, with Deandre Jordan and, and Jared Allen oftentimes looks, looks pretty bad. And then sometimes looks okay. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's like, it's not, um, I think Jared is still a little bit offensively limited uh, for it to be like super high impact and running it like constantly. Um, so yeah, there's like a lot of those types of things that, I, that I'm still working out. Like that was an ugly win for me. Um, continues to be like, winning ugly is what you got to do is like if you want to be a good team so that's not alarming um, but I want to see a little bit of that kind of consistency Mike that's what I'm really keyed into yeah but what I would say is almost impossible for this Nets team to have that just because of the Fair. nature of Kyrie being in and out Karis being in and out there's no Spencer Dinwiddie going from a guy who's going into the season thinking he's the the main person off the bench to be literally becoming the entire offense um we're still um, not sure who's better, DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen at times. Dude, DeAndre Jordan is better. I hate to say it. I mean, he's finishing these games for a reason. Like, uh, that his his sometimes his defensive timing looks like at the end of the game is just like a good matchup. I mean, I know he like, you know, pretty conspicuously gave up a big bucket to DeMontis Sabonis, and I was ready up until the very last, like when we had 3.8 seconds left on the clock, I was like, oh, that means that's just a perfect amount of time for DeMontis to traipse into the lane and flick up a stupid layup and win this game, um, which I was 100% expecting and was yeah. glad that that was not at all what happened. Um, yeah. So that being said, I don't have like, you know, um, immense faith in DeAndre Jordan, but like it's at, we're at the point now where that contract is looking not, not, not only not bad, but pretty good. Well, um, yeah. So let yeah. me look this up as we're talking because I think, so Dwayne Dedman just got, so I don't, I don't really – it's kind of unfair to both Dwayne Dedman and DeAndre Jordan to compare the two. But Dwayne Dedman and DeAndre Jordan are at the, at the same age, and they both got contracts in the same offseason. And Dwayne Dedman's contract was three years, $40 million. And DeAndre Jordan's was four years, $40 million. And everyone flipped out on NBA Twitter when it was discovered, of course, that yes, Kyrie – and KD were coming to Brooklyn. Everyone was excited about that. But the negative of that was that, oh, my God, you gave DeAndre Jordan $10 million a year for the next four years. How could you ever do that? A guy like Dwayne Dedman gets more money per year basis and, and the same exact amount of money over the length of the contract that DeAndre Jordan did. And D- Dwayne Dedman just got shipped away to Atlanta and had to be have two second-round picks attached to him for him to end up in Atlanta. So it's like everyone... We all freak out about dollar figures, but it all has to be related to the overall cap, and it all has to be related to what people are being paid to be a, a center, starting center, or a backup center. You know, well, we, and you know, you know, sorry, to interrupt. Yeah. You know what my suspicion is about why people have such biases about those two players, or like why that isn't um, consistent? Is I think when you're a person like DeAndre Jordan, whose game is changing, like his body is changing, he is not able to be like as much of a leaper as he was and things like that people look at that and a like i'm not no judgment like a casual fan be like oh he's like getting old and that's like bad um but if you watch deandre closely i think that there's a lot of reason to believe like he's being very careful in adapting his game to this new body type and his physical limitations that he has and he's doing a really good job of it um whereas i don't know i haven't watched enough Dwayne Dedman, but um 
You haven't, you haven't been watching a lot of Dwayne Dedman? No. How dare you, Brian? You call yourself a Nets podcaster. But, but I'm assuming that you it, shall it, be watching he's, Dwayne Dedman. He's not, um, he's not like enduring the same kind of uh, changes as as DeAndre Jordan is is so obviously. Um, so maybe there's like a little bit of like a cognitive bias that's just like at a glance it looks different, and so different is bad. I don't know. That's just yeah. my conjecture. Yeah, and I think also part of it is is. Uh, DeAndre Jordan was an all NBA player, all defense. And then right. he had that like really, I mean, it was a bad season in Dallas that gets him then sent away to the New York Knicks in the, he was in the Porzingis trade, right? I think that's what it was. And so the media attention around DeAndre Jordan is like, wow, look at him. He's given up all effort. He's not nearly athletic as he was. So our expectation of DeAndre Jordan was like sky high. And then he ended up being closer to just slightly above average as a center. Which I don't even think, I think actually he's better than that. But that's where he is, right? Dwayne Dedman, everyone has liked Dwayne Dedman when you've seen him play basketball. Because he's always been like the the center off the bench. He's a guy who can shoot threes. And so everyone falls in love with that guy. It's the backup quarterback mentality of like, everyone loves a backup quarterback until they start playing real minutes. Um, everyone loved Dwayne Dedman. And then he gets a big contract. And he goes to Sacramento. And he doesn't play basketball. And so... You know, again, I just think it obviously if I think of the Nets, if you got Sean Marks within a truth dungeon, okay, you put him in the truth dungeon and you sit him down, you don't even give him serum, you give him a, a cup of tea that has some truth leaves in it, okay? A little healthy, caffeine free, not to get him too amped up, so you can get a nice mellow Sean Marks. And you ask him truly. That's called ayahuasca. That's what you're talking about. Ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah, if we could do that. <laughs> yeah. If we could do that. Yeah. And and we, we, we take him and we say, Mr. Marks, uh, be truthful with us. You got Kyrie Irving, Kate, Kevin Durant. We're not going to ask you about that. We're not going to ask about Kevin Durant's Achilles tendon, which we'll talk about later in this podcast. But did you actually want to sign DeAndre Jordan for four years, 40 million total? Did you want to do that? I think you would probably say, I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that, but I would also think if you put him in the same truth dungeon and gave him the ayahuasca, he would say now, he'd be like, DeAndre Jordan's been pretty damn good for us, and his impact on the team, you know, I'm talking locker room presence, all the stuff that you read about about DeAndre Jordan, he's been a positive force on the team for sure. Is that worth $10 million a year? It's tough to say that, but it's not like that far off from $10 million. It's not an, uh, a complete embarrassment of a contract. It's He's been... Pretty good. And it's so weird to see Nets Twitter. People just have this dug in opinion of him, you know, that, you know, we defended him from the moment that he got here. But some people have been less likely to actually defend him. Um, By the way, I'm looking up center salaries. I just want to go through this quickly just to see uh, average salary. Okay, so DeAndre Jordan is posted up at at nine, (laughs) nine million, nine hundred and ninety thousand one hundred and seventy nine dollars. Okay. Myers Leonard makes more money than him, and Myers Leonard has been pretty horrific. Thomas Bryant makes a little bit less money than him, and Thomas Bryant has been in and out of the lineup. He's 22, so that's defensible. But, like, here are the guys just above DeAndre Jordan. Myers Leonard, Yusuf Nurkic, who, which was an incredible contract, so very deserving, though he's been hurt. Kelly Olenek. Brooke Lopez is making $3 million more a year, and I think I'd rather have Brooke Lopez than DeAndre Jordan, but it's not, like, crazy. Dwayne Denman, Mason Plumley, Cody Zeller, Jonas Valanciunas, Gorgie Jang, Jan Mahimney, Tristan Thompson, Bismack Biombo. And now I'm getting up to a point where Bismack Biombo makes $8 million more a year 
than DeAndre Jordan. And that contract was signed in 2016. So, like, we have now gone into the future. 2019 is when DeAndre Jordan has signed his contract. And it ended up being $10 million a year. That is actually kind of below market value for someone who is as, you know, has such a resume like DeAndre Jordan. And and also, like, the most one-to-one comparison is Ed Davis, who got is also making $10 million a year has been injured and failed to when he wasn't injured crack the rotation in Utah he's averaging nothing basically when he plays it's uh it's a sad state for Ed but um and I'm not saying that that's like you know assuredly going to happen because you know that's not how life works um but it's just an interesting you know that's that is the the player who we replaced DeAndre Jordan um with and hard to say that um DeAndre isn't having a better season than Ed Davis right now like well, yeah, Ed is actually making he's making ten million over two seasons. He's sure I get it. Yeah, but but half of Ed Davis, who's not playing, is more damaging than DeAndre Jordan, who's playing minutes, and it's crucial. Like, and also I think we need to talk about the basketball since it's like, so there, there's still this incredibly awkward Spencer Dinwiddie. Absolutely love him. Uh, he throws way too many alley oops, and often they are some of the worst alley oops I've ever seen in my life at least on the basketball court for an NBA player, because he he has such expectation that DeAndre Jordan will go up and in fact sky to get the get mm. the alley-oop. When sometimes DeAndre Jordan does want to do that, there's other times when old man DeAndre does not want to do that. And Spencer didn't really will fling a pass that will bang off the backboard and just go the other way and ignite a fast break for the other team. Um, but beyond that, if you're not doing that to DeAndre Jordan all the time, he makes the sound decision offensively. He 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 doesn't ever demand a post up. And I think that's something that's crucial in that I don't I don't know what his post up numbers are. I could probably look them up within the next 18 minutes. But he for the problem that had been plaguing Dwight Howard over his career beyond his alleged, you know, personality. I don't know why I say alleged, but was that Dwight Howard, even when his he was declining, even when the world around him was telling him we are not going to give you a post-up. You don't deserve a post-up. If you just join the team and you say you don't want post-ups, you will get X amount of dollars. And he refused to to do that until this season now with the Lakers. And they're actually still posting him up somewhat. D'Angelo Jordan doesn't demand that. He doesn't demand to start. He doesn't demand, you know, a certain amount of times the ball would be in his hands, though other centers do that. What he demands is to allow him to do his pregame warm-ups and allow him to pick up dimes on the floor and just to be a general good presence and then sometimes dunk the ball. And that's exactly what I want in a player. Lastly, with regards to the recent surging Brooklyn Nets, um, Karis LeVert, where is his value? Are we selling high, low, or middle? <laughs> Can what we is... trade him right now? No. <laughs> no. Um, I don't, I've, been, I've been dogging Karis LeVert, and people have been wanting me to apologize for this on the Discord and in Twitter. If you're not on the Discord, I really encourage you to go click on the invitation in our Twitter bio um, and join the chat. Um, but here's the thing. In, in my defense, I'm going to do the thing that I often do, which is when I apologize, I actually take credit for something. Um, <laughs> this is a specialty of mine, so check this out. Um, so <laughs> while, while I'm apologizing for Karis LeVert, I think that his recent... You know, it's possible that you know maybe a, a, a recent episode of ours, you know, crossed his 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 path because because look, 
um, what what was different about him was so we were I was critical personally of the fact that when he drives he looks to pass too late in the drive he's not keeping his options open until he's brought in a secondary defender they've closed up the space the roller who's ostensibly rolling or cutting or whoever there's no room to make the the pass and he ends up turning the ball over more more frequently than he should and in the two games or three games where he was like you know averaging whatever he had 37 29 and 23 or whatever um there was so many driving kicks so much uh passing at the elbow and i was like oh great this is he must have heard he must have heard my pleas um this is the new carries <laughs> heard and then last night he reverts right back to his old ways reverts yeah something something there with six turnovers Sorry. on he's doing four of 13 shooting um not great stuff i mean he's working really hard this has always been my thing he it is sheer force of will with Karis Levert, and i wish that he would just keep that those he, he there's something about him that he needs to Continue doing to piggyback off what he's doing well and adapt to you know whoever's playing against him. I feel like he is not very adaptable and also susceptible to being lured into those less effective ways of playing. Um, and that's where you get not great nights like last night. And again, like eleven points is not you know it's not a horrific night. Um, but following up that thirty-seven point breakout, I I, I want to keep I want to keep his his stock up, Mike. And um, this is not. This ain't the way to do it, Chief, you know? Yeah, and so I'll say this. So in February, because that's the splits that I'm looking at, those are five games that he's played so far in February. He's averaging 21 points, but basically almost five assists and three rebounds. He's shooting 60% from three, right? So, like, a lot of this is inflated, uh, his numbers, but it does look different. It looks better on the floor besides last night against the Pacers. It had looked better on the floor. It's been more aggressive, but also at the same time um, – Aggression can sometimes lead to, like, not in control, not being in control, but he has been in control. Uh, he's been taking a lot of heat check shots, which I love. The fact that he's feeding into his own heat check, that he's not being shy about it, that, like, he's like, I'm finally playing the way that I thought I was going to play, and I'm going to take pull-up threes, and I'm going to take pull-up jumpers, and I'm going to take guys to the hole. He's been doing the old Karis LeVert thing. Karis LeVert, I think, on this team, besides Kyrie, is the best at making guys look like they're wearing uh, rollerblades defending him. Like, he can make people just slide away from him when he's doing a crossover, like, unlike anyone else but Kyrie Irving. Um, so, if he, ex I mean, if he continues to shoot 39 or 59% from three, I think that would be a good thing. Um, that's my take. Uh, I don't think that will happen, but even if he gets down to. I don't know, 37%. If he continues, he basically shoots at a league-wide average. If he continues the way that he's playing, which is aggression but in control, uh, pulling, like, really attacking guys as opposed to what was before, which was, like, this, like, weird, like, I'm going to kind of fall into a bunch of defenders and see what happens. Um, he's been, he's been like, the most exciting development of the Nets this season besides Spencer Dinwiddie's like incredible turn into like James Harden, like a mini James Harden in a way like this, just a little stretch, a Karis Levert. And so I wanted to look up usage stats just to see what for the Nets, just to see like how it's been breaking down overall. Um, obviously, like Kyrie Irving is number one when he's on the floor at 32%. If that means anything to anyone, I'll let you know. 29% for Spencer Dinwiddie. And then Karis Levert is at 27%. 
meaning that when he's on the floor, the ball is in his hands. It's not like it's not like the Nets haven't been feeding Karis Avert or giving him the room to operate. It's just now that you know the uh, the hope is that he's converting it and it's becoming a positive uh, end of of possession as opposed to what was before, which was a negative end of possession. And the Nets had always been right around 500 as a team, right around uh, a low uh, to high margin or low margin of victory either way or margin of loss in the most cases. Well, if Karis Avert's playing a little bit better and hopefully Kyrie Irving comes back and he can continue to play well, um, this this will drastically turn around the team. I That's the big thing that I'll be watching after the All-Star break, if I would, Brian, is... I think Kyrie Irving and Spencer Dinwiddie works. Okay, I think they work together. They both, they both can get theirs while also then running the team, the rest of the team playing at a pretty high level at times. I don't know if all three of those guys can all be playing well. I would like to see it. Like I would look to Boston now. Obviously, Boston they're all wing players, but you have Tatum, Brown, Kemba Walker, and Gordon Hayward. Kemba Walker not being a wing, but Hayward, Brown, and Tatum. And they all three can play really well in a game, as well as Kemba, and they can they can all distribute the ball, and it all works out. I would like to, I need to see that. I need I need to see a Lavert Dinwiddie Irving game where all of them are like at twenty five points, each gets four assists, and it just like all of it makes sense because we haven't had that yet. We've only had two guys be playing well at one time, and the other guy not. And it's a good comparison because also those the the Boston guards have made a big deal out of identifying as defensive minded players, and they're like you know really stressing that that part of their game. And that does not seem to be that's not a vibe that the Nets' wings have picked up quite yet, um, or their backcourt. I mean, um, or it's like not like an identity, you know, like Marcus Smart like really leads with that with that. Um, that whole deal. Um, and I wish that we just had like one of those players that was just like pounding the court and um, yeah. was about that life. Um, yeah, we, we I found some- myself like kind of being um, covetous of, of TJ McConnell, which is a weird place oh, to be. Um, I saw it, but like, I, I, and I was asking like, do Pacers fans like him or not? And I'm assuming oh, it's easy do they? I'm sure they love him. I mean, I well, I can't tell if he's Matthew love. Delavadova or like you know White Pat Beverly. I don't know. Like, it's hard to tell on just like one game <laughs> I mean, basis. I would love yeah. Matthew Delavadova. If you give yeah. me Matthew Delavadova, I would be. No, um, you don't. You don't want Matthew Delavadova. Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah, I really. You know who I want? I want Donald Sloan back. That's what I want. Um, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, good comparison. Yeah, Mike, give me some. As one season ends, the next begins. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook is now live with XFL action. The XFL is back, bigger, badder, and more extreme than ever. DraftKings Sportsbook will continue to offer great football action moving into the next season of professional football. The XFL has some new rules, and DraftKings is offering you a special promo to earn some free bets. Teams can now score one, two, or three points after a touchdown. Each PAT your team converts DraftKings Sportsbook will give you $1 towards a free bet. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Do not forget... Enter code QUICK and get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 
Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times played through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's the news! All right, go, go. Uh, quick news around the league right now. Uh, first, there's a video. I mean, it's happening all the time on Twitter. It's about Kevin Durant. Uh, a new video posted by one of Durant's friends who is also a, a shoe designer. Um, I think his brand is like Espire or Enspire or something like that. But it starts with an E, not an I. And um, it shows Durant driving it's dribbling a ball on a basketball court at the Nets practice facility he's driving across a lane uh turning around jumping shooting the ball you know off the gr- he's off the ground and it's a real basketball move and what we had seen before was him stand still shooting or kind of quick dribbles and then shot or the time you know last week when he saw uh he was throwing around a football and catching it and all that good stuff okay now this is sort of maybe kind of the first time that we've seen him make like this real hard cut basketball move. And uh, Net Income from the Nets Daily Twitter account tweeted, a Nets insider tells me that if we're seeing it for the first time on social media, it's likely that Durant has been doing this, this type of thing for some time. As meaning, this isn't the first time that Kevin Durant has made these kind of hard basketball cuts in a practice facility while he's in amidst his right Achilles rehab which he continually is on the the injury report, and we're still waiting for when his designation will return to probable. This is what I'll say, Brian. Okay, um, Kevin Durant's coming back this season, and there's no stopping it. And anyone can tell me anything they want. He can go on any other podcast that he wants, and the hosts of those podcasts cannot ask him questions about his Achilles. But I'm telling you, he is coming back this season. And if you need more evidence, just continually watch Twitter because you're going to continue to see videos of him making basketball moves and just know about Achilles. That's all. If he's doing those things, that is it. That is like, that's where he's at. Like he's basically there. I'm sure there's strengthening things and he's still way ahead of the, I think it's the 10 month timeline that we're waiting on. 10 months would be a month from basically now. Um, And so if it's 10 months from now, that means that he's going to have at least a month left of the season, maybe three weeks left of the season, um, and then the playoffs. So Kevin Durant's coming back, just so you know. Mike, um, when does your podcast about the Achilles come out? The the second that Sham Sharania tweets out that Kevin Durant is uh, practicing on a basketball court again, like as in terms of like he's oh, getting it's, ready. It's to- in the, you've got it in the chamber, huh? Yeah, it's going it, to, that will be the unleashing moment. The minute that Sham Sharania says. Is it going to be on this feed? You're going to put it on here? Or is it going to be on somewhere on the athletic? It's definitely going to be on this feed. It may be other places. Again, if you don't know, the Achilles doc is going to be, it's about Durant's injury, uh, recovery from that injury, and then what Durant may be like going forward. I've talked to Dominique Wilkins and LaFonso Ellis and D'Angelo Hall, who's a football player, so it's a lot of good stuff. Brian, um, interesting exchange in Philadelphia. Things have gotten ugly in Philly, and Joel Embiid, the the living beating heart of the process posted a photo on Instagram in which he captioned either you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. This was after a game in which Philly fans were booing their beloved Sixers because of the effort they've seen. 
And would you guess who slide into those comments but former teammate and current Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler says, I know a place where villains are welcome. Embiid responds on Instagram to that comment by saying, damn right, my brother, Brian, what's the temperature like right now in Philadelphia? You know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this, but you know, like when you're saying singular, like Miami Heat, like you're a dude that like, if you're like a Brooklyn net, you can't, it does, it's the same. It sounds weird. Um, temperature in Philly is just give the team to that freaking cork mouse. Cause, um, you know, <laughs> It's just, there's no good way to like get that in there. And I just had to, um, but yeah, I don't know. What is Joel Embiid leaving? Is that, is that the, is that the implicit thing? That that's what everyone's jumping to that conclusion. He's gone. I, I think all it is, I mean, it's just another public display of like this sixer season is turning into but a is it, pretty is horrific it, season. Is it toxifying? Is it making them want to jump ship? Is it that bad? You know, I feel like if, because it's from Joel Embiid, everyone expects it from him. Like, if it was from Ben Simmons, literally, like, if Ben Simmons had that kind of post and then LeBron James under it had said that and then Ben Simmons responded, everyone would be like, oh, Ben Simmons is going to the Lakers. Like, that's happening because Ben Simmons is so quiet that any kind of uh, display of affection, I guess, to another team would everyone read as, like, oh, that's his true thinking. With, like, Embiid, it's – he just says – shit all the time on Twitter yeah, this, and Instagram this, and it's I awesome. Think, I think it would also be like the the way that in which that he airs it out. This it feels like if he was really airing it out, this this wouldn't be a super damning example of that is my my hot take. I mean my thing is is like I mean the, the Sixers aren't like they are kind of a disaster. Even though they're you know one of the eight best teams in the NBA, they are still kind of a disaster. And What's going to happen, you know, there's kind of a speculation before the trade deadline that that the Sixers may decide to trade Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid to say, like, one of you guys, the fit together doesn't work. We can get value for one or the other, and then we'll completely remake our team and focus around whichever star we decided to keep. What's going to happen is that Brett Brown's going to get fired. Yeah, they're about and, to can Brown. And they're just going to, they're going to hire whoever... Phil Jackson or or whoever they feel like is completely worthy of this talent and go from there. And it'll become a really desired job because you're going to have one of the most talented rosters in the NBA, though it's a very weird roster. Uh, Tobias Harris may get traded because it doesn't really make sense to have Al Horford, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. Um, there's a Jackie McMullen. So I can't even verify this because I didn't listen to her on the podcast. Um, Jackie McMullen Allegedly, someone on on Reddit, I won't even go this way. Basically, someone on Reddit picked up what Jackie McMullen had said in a podcast and said Al Horf Al Horford is struggling through an injury. It almost doesn't matter because he's he's just not playing well. Um, can I say something to you, Brian? Though, um, I'm not sure. I okay, give uh, it a try. I uh, do delight in oh, the boy. dysfunction of the Philadelphia 76ers. <clears throat> sure. Can I say that? Am I allowed to feel good about that? Well, yeah, yeah, because I mean, yeah, f f fuck Philly, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just as simply as that. Like, I there not that there is really a rivalry between the Nets and Sixers, but because the Sixers so thoroughly beat the Nets in the playoffs, and they are the team I'm, I'd be most concerned about beyond the Bucks in a in a seven game series in the playoffs. Is that right? You think so? Just their size. There's, it's just. 
I can't get out of my head the fact that like Jared Allen would just get abused. And I know we have DeAndre Jordan. This will be weird it, in a in a world in which we get Kyrie and KD back for the playoffs. It could make for a very interesting first round. Like, let me tell you that right now. I know what is the current. Let's because it's Toronto is in there and like oh, Toronto's. I think a bad matchup just because I, there's not many teams in which I think there's like a, such a distinct coaching disadvantage. Which I hate to say it because I I love me some Kenny. Um, I just think the Mercs is like a really like effective in-game tactician. I'm not the, obviously not the first person to say that, and Kenny is a little bit susceptible to that um, kind of thing. So my ideally, I would want to go against Miami. I think um, just because we've like weirdly stacked up well against them. Um, I don't want Boston because the memes are too much for me. That's too much. Um, but people people will want Boston. I feel like. Yeah, I Boston would be like a ridiculous level of emotion i mean not even just Kyrie. it's also the fact that and of course the kg pierce trade but that before durant left oklahoma city the two teams that he seemed to be really looking at were golden state and the celtics and there was a very real reality where kevin durant would have been a celtic and then if he's a celtic then the entire fabric of the nba changes in some way um you know what sucks too is all three of those teams Toronto, Boston, Miami travel so well, and they travel so well to, to Barclays in particular. It's really a bad situation. Those are all going to be away games. Um, I mean, to be honest, the Nets just need to focus on not being the eighth seed. Because more than, like, caring about, and I know this, like, we'll continue to talk about this, but, like, more than caring about who the two seed is, it's don't be yeah, don't be don't the eighth seed because then you play the Bucks. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not even saying the Bucks are like unstoppable. I do think I think there's some James Harden Rockets type thing going on with Giannis, where it's just so built around one player, and in a seven game series, those type of things just don't uh, work out like super well typically. But you know, the Raptors series would be very interesting. The Raptors are extremely impressive. Ronnie House Jefferson like will randomly have 20 and 10 games somehow. It seems like. And the rest of their team is just on such a high level. But if you enter that series, it becomes who are the two best players? Well, Pascal Siakam is probably better than Kyrie at this point. But Kevin Durant, even at 90% health, would be the best player there. And then it's Siakam and then Kyrie Irving. But that's a whole other debate. I don't know. It's just I need more time. What I really do want is the heat. I The uh, Andre Iguodala trade is fine. I don't think it moves the needle in the way that it was kind of reported at the, at the moment that we heard about the trade, I'm not like, I'm not sweating Andre Iguodala forever altering, you know, a series against the Nets. Uh, But right now they're five games back from the Raptors. The Raptors have won 15 straight. So it's not, I don't know. Uh, Can I tell you one more thing? Uh, This is one of the, one of the great posts of all time on NBA Reddit. This is from Fugster McAllister. Okay. The, the title of it, Does Becoming a Father Impact a Player's Performance? Uh, so what Mr. McAllister has done is he's figured out essentially the top players in the NBA who became fathers during a season or in the offseason and then came back and had played after having a kid, how good they were before using their game score and how good they were after. Now, uh, I, I can tell you, I feel like the dates of when kids happened were wrong. Uh, You know, they're kind of all over the place. Uh, A lot of it aligns with like, so like LeBron James is here 
Um, it's how was he in 2003, 2004 compared to 2004, 2005? Because I guess that's when Bronny was born. But like, so some of this aligns with when a guy is going to get better anyways. So, and that's admitted in this piece, but it was spurred on because Giannis Antetokounmpo is now a new father. And we remember in the last finals that Fred Van Vliet, he had a second child, I think, in the Eastern Conference finals and then was like electric the moment that he got back and was incredible and is one of the main reasons why the Raptors won the championship. What what Mr. McAllister's analysis found is that for the most part, generally pretty much all the time, guys get better when they have a kid. And this hits home for me because wow. I have a son and I feel like I've just my, my podcasting has just improved mightily. If I had a oh, game wow. score, it would go up by at least eight points because of wow. myself. <laughs> Actually, it's not true. I've got became worse podcaster, but no, um, what are you talking about? You're great. Like things are going great. Um, so there you go. If you want to get better as a basketball player, have a kid. So anyone, this is my advice. Anyone in high school right now who is hoping to become a better basketball player, this is definitive proof. Well, have a do child. You, <laughs> do you think this could apply to? Your day, your day job, your nine to five, or your side hustle. I mean, does does having and does having many kids on top of it with multiple partners, you're just multiplying the, the benefit of beneficial effects. I mean, just look around. Philip Rivers has ten kids, and he may be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Eddie Murphy, one of the greatest comedians of all time, has ten kids, and look at him. Yeah. Um, there are all many right. a, many people who have this had is true kids. true breeder propaganda here. There we go. Um, <laughs> No, but I'm open to it. It's good. Hey, I like this. That's a feel-good story. Feel-good story. Um, so I'm yeah, trying check to it out. subvert it, but yeah, no, I like it. I'll check it out. Check it out on uh, NBA Reddit, Fugster, McAllister, all credit to you. Brian, what a pod. What a Just another Mike, pod. Mike, you did it again. I can't, and I can't thank you enough for having me on. Hey, um, do you do reviews, if like somebody were to, you know, put a review up on iTunes, would that help our podcast in any way, Mike? I think it would. I think it would be like one of those things that would become a positive experience for everyone. Yeah, and we would really enjoy it, and we would thank you forever. And five stars, we want them, we need them. Got to have them. At BK Glue Guys on Twitter. Um, smush the follow on all of the other stuff that's on there. So many links. Join the Discord. Let's get it going. Let's fire it up, because we're about to pivot, Mike. It's that mid-February Nets pivot. Yeah! Howard Dean. <laughs> yeah, boy! <laughs>